everyone listening in. Welcome to season one, episode four of Living Leadership from the School of Leadership Studies at Gonzaga University. I am grateful to be your host, Tara Weir, and I'm so excited about continuing our season here, our, our inaugural season of this series. Living Leadership consists of eight webinars, followed by eight conversational podcast episodes on topics surrounding community and workplace wellness. We are leaning in to what you need in and out of the workplace and how employers can support you in that. I am thrilled to be joined today by our two guests from our webinar earlier, Mark Finney and Pingala Detal. If you were able to tune in to our live webinar um, on January 26th, then you may have already had a chance to hear from Mark and Pingala, um, but I will quickly reintroduce them to you um, for our topic today, which is compartmentalized caring, expanding our ability to care. So important. So this topic is not only, as you heard in the title, workplace wellness, but specifically also community wellness. So today we explore uh, a little bit more on the community wellness side, um, and we'll dive into this podcast probably um, into that as well as workplace more. Okay, so first I want to introduce you to Mark Finney. He has led World Relief's office in Spokane since February of 2017. He is passionate about helping communities flourish by connecting individuals and groups of people who come from different backgrounds and different perspectives. Mark frequently speaks at churches and events about refugees, immigration, and forging community partnerships. Mark and his wife, Becky, lived for a season in Thailand and have traveled extensively. He is also the pastor of Emma. I don't know how to pronounce that. Emmaus. Emmaus. Thank you, Mark. Okay. Emmaus Church <laughs> and enjoys all things outdoors with his wife and their four children. Pingala has been working at World Relief for over 13 years before living in a UN refugee camp in Nepal for 18 years before that. She got evicted from her country, Bhutan, at age 16 due to an ethnic cleansing policy and came to America in 2008, came to Spokane, USA, as Mark put it, I loved it, um, it, in 2008 with her husband and two children. Her son graduated from Gonzaga University in 2017 as a civil engineer. So I'm excited because you've already, hopefully, if you haven't already listened to the webinar, watch the webinar, please do, because they're, they both shared their experiences and their, their stories a little bit that um, really shine a light on this really important topic. So um, also joining us today, of course, is our fabulous Living Leadership webinar and podcast producer, Emily Clay. So um, first, welcome back, Mark and Pingala and Emily. Um, it was such a great, was such a great example of why stories and storytelling are so important in our culture. Um, the value that I felt and experienced in hearing both of your stories um, 
was really helpful, really powerful. So um, it was definitely a pleasure to hear from you both. And I cannot wait to dig deeper into our topic. Let's dig deeper. Um, and where I where I want to th- start is what I think I want to highlight something that you said, Pingala, around compassion and how like how compassion plays out. And the way that you put it, I recall, was around um, you know that we can have compassionate thoughts and we can have compassionate feelings, and then those obviously turn into it's kind of where our actions come from is our, our thoughts and our feelings. It's like, that's, what's driving um, our actions. So I just, I just think that's so powerful because it's simply not just, I act compassionately or I have thoughts around it, or I have a feeling of it, but I'm living it. Um, say more about what your, your thoughts are on that and your own experience of thinking, feeling, and living it. Compassion. Thank you. Um, so what I said is, I'll just take you back to my um, story, being in the camp. So living in a refugee camp for 18 years, from the age like 16 or 17, that's the prime time of anyone's life. Mm-hmm. And becoming a mother, um, the circumstances were beyond imagination. There, there was shortage of everything. And I could um, take it like I could see the the miserable part and I could cry all day long or whatever. But but I also see uh, some sparks of kindness, compassion that um, I received while I was there from other people. And I can still feel it, like how I felt, mm-hmm. how that inspired me a friend coming from Holland and giving um, an empowerment workshop to the women mm. I worked with, all the refugee women. So I, when I came to camp, I also was, I had this wild thought. Um, because coming to camp was also eye-opening to me when I uh, met women from all over the country who I never knew before. Uh, when I was in Bhutan. So I was automatically like exposed to 115,000 of my um, community people uh, from mm-hmm. Southern Bhutan. And women were uneducated. Um, so I automatically felt like, okay, I got a little bit of education, but I could continue my education when I go back home. But since education has so much value, I thought, okay, I will join... Um, the non-formal education and then educate all of the women, including my mom, who never had the opportunity to go to school um, and go back to the country and, you know, change it or something. So I joined that. Um, through that, I made so many friends. And that's where I, I, 
I found out when I need it. So right now when I have to act, um, I look back those days and I very much remember my friend, Dr. Rachel Hinton, who came as a student and, and now she has, um, and then she completed her PhD and then came back um, to Nepal through um, British government like DFID as a pro project manager or program manager. And she invited me to Kathmandu and, and took us to a five-star hotel. And she had just one, like one room. I think that was given by, um, to her by com her company. And she allowed me to sleep in the, the bed and she would sleep in the sofa in the living room. And, and I asked her, Rachel, I mean, I can't do, I mean, you have to sleep because that's her place. And also I was really uncomfortable, but then Rachel was so smart. She told me, no, you are my guest. And guest in our culture, we have very high value. We say Atiti Deva Baba, which is guest our God. So she did some like learned about me, like where, um, how to convince me, how to comfort me. And in that way, I felt okay, like comfortable to see, I mean, sleep in a better place than her. Um, and that's, those are the small things that I have seen that changed my um, life then. And now I am in a place right now. And and that moment not only comforted me, I guess, that also gave um, comfort to her heart as well. Mm. So compassion is not only like, we do for other people it's doing for ourselves as well it's comforting what is good for me i don't i wouldn't feel good when i go out and yell at somebody or do something and i can't come back with um very feeling very happy that's mm -hmm. that's not who we are i mean we will be it is very contagious actually whatever we give that will come back so we always think like we do good for other people only no that we do good for ourselves, that will help us to grow, that will help us to be a better person. And who wouldn't want to be a better person? Who wouldn't want to be loved by others? So it's not like loving others, it's loving ourselves, recognizing the moments like Mark is a great example. Um, being born in Idaho, if you could be like this, then anyone can do it. So, but, That's the truth. But, but we have to recognize the moment, um, the sparks that uh, when he said he was walking in the, I think that was the spark, the moment. So he recognized while he was walking on the road in India. So it took him, it, it took quite quite a while he traveled way um out of the country that is um that's very brave of him that is i think mark but they, those are the moments we will all have moments in our life but we have to recognize what it is telling us and how we are going to um respond to it so it's up to us how we respond um that will determine um if it is compassion like you want to be compassionate or you want to be whatever but um, I think that's, yeah, such a good that's how I feel that point you made about how she felt so good when you let yeah. her help you like that's some, like that's so important for people to remember is that 
it's okay to let people help you. It's actually so good to let people help you because it really does make people feel good. And I think so often we're like so resistant to that help, but it's hard to, it's hard to remember that little tidbit of like, that's actually helping them feel, feel good to let, just let people in, let people help you like that. Yeah. I think that too, when, when, uh, cause I, I used to just want to give, just give, 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 but I realized it actually was a gift. What, cause people want to give to me too. So by receiving, it gives them the gift of, of being able to give. And it's that flow, um, that, that I really appreciate. And I just love that your example about the doctor, you know, Rachel uh, and how she really bridged by finding out about your culture and the value of, of being a guest and could really welcome you and comfort you from that perspective of, of such an important value to you. So what a great example of that for sure. And I love the word spark. That is just one of my favorite words. So, and it's contagious, you know, you spark, spark it and it catches fire and it's, it's contagious. So, um, yeah. So Mark, any thoughts on what we've been talking about so far? Oh yeah, this is so good. As I was listening to you share Pingala, I was thinking almost like, okay, this is going to be a weird connection, but like economics, like compassion is like the currency of humanity, right? It's like the currency of our humanity. So we use money to exchange value in terms of material goods, but I think compassion is what we use to exchange the value of our humanity, Mm -hmm. right? We all require it. Everyone, nobody can go through life without being in situations where you require compassion. You know, we're, we're indebted to it and, and we're, wounded and we're broken and we're unable to care for ourselves physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. And compassion is what it takes from our fellow humans to sort of restore or reinstate or grow our own humanity, our own sense of our own humanity. And at the same time, uh, I think that we would all say that if you look at who is the wealthiest, who is the richest in terms of being fully human, throughout human history, we would look at those people who demonstrate the greatest compassion. Mm. You know, people like Gandhi and Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa, uh, you would say those are the most, those are the best examples of what it means to be human. And you can measure that almost on a scale of compassion. These are people who lived fully compassionate lives. Yes, they needed to receive compassion, And yet consistently, whether in public or in private, in big ways and small, they lived a life marked by compassion. Uh, They were fully human and they helped other people become more fully human through, you know, through the, the generous giving of compassion. Absolutely. I, I, I love that expression currency of humanity. Um, that's such a beautiful way. And to, to link it to economics, like, whoa, my little people person <laughs> brain was like, what economics? Yes. That's such a great way. Such a great, um, example. And one of the things that you said, Mark, during the webinar, um, that you said about Pingala, which was her voice is a fountain of wisdom. And I just think that is Absolutely true. And part of why this is so important, this kind of conversation is because your voices, we are, we become examples. So not just Mm -hmm. in our actions, but in our words, you know, thoughts, feelings, actions, words, but also just in how we show up with each other. So I think that's, that's why I just, I love that um, we, are, we want to hear, you know, we want to hear from each other and each other's voice. And so, so powerful to hear stories. 
and experiences. For sure. I, I also wanted to highlight, I loved the example. It's tying a little bit to what you just said, Mark, around um, and Pingala, your example of like, you know, imagine we're on an airplane and the airplane has been hijacked. So how connected are we all now? Well, yes, we are in a situation where there is uns- uncertainty and danger and fear. So yes, we are connected. And then to bring that down from the sky and bring that into onto our planet <laughs> and say, okay, here we are as a human, you know, as a human race living on this planet together, we are in it together. So um I, I just thought that example as the on the airplane was a really great idea. And then speaking of airplane, I love love the kind of leadership you showed with your kids to have lights looking down on Spokane and saying one of those lights is our home. That just gives me chills as a mom of two as well to hear you've brought, you know, you had so many choice opportunities in your life to, to go angry, resentful, bitter, unforgiving, or to go the other direction. And clearly you've gone the other direction and you're being a leader in your family. And fortunately in Spokane as a, as a compassionate heart and, you know, to have you hold that vision for your kids and say, look, we're, we're home. And then to be so open-hearted with the welcome you received. And I just feel so proud of Spokane to be midnight welcomers. That's just fantastic. So I can can follow up on that, Tara. Yes, please. I think think there's something connected between compassion and pain or maybe suffering. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what the quite Mm -hmm. the right word is, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's something about having suffered in some ways that creates a capacity in us to give compassion in ways that, that don't happen when we're comfortable. And, um, I don't know. I'd love to hear any reflections you might have on that Pingala, because I'm sure you've been around people, you know, who've been through some of the same things that were very difficult in your life and may not have come out the other side being generous and kind and compassionate. But in your case, you, you have one of the, I work with a lot of people, a lot of great people. I don't know of anybody who has a higher capacity for compassion than Pingala does. And I think that's because uh, of so much of your experience of how you've channeled your own difficult experiences, uh, it's created some some space inside of you for compassion and gentleness. What would you say is the connection between those things, Pingala? Sorry, I have to reconfirm. Um, I got a little distracted here. So generosity and compassion, is that what it is? Well, what's the connection between compassion and pain or suffering or, or discomfort. Because uh, a lot of people who are comfortable their whole lives are not necessarily very compassionate. Uh, but most of the most compassionate people I've known have actually gone through a lot of obstacles and challenges and pain. Mm-hmm. So what's um, the connection? That's the connection that I told you. When you are in most pain, like most difficult time in life, um, that's where we can enlighten. <laughs> that's where we can wake up um that that's where we have to recognize the sparks um and that's the time like then you can you can choose to carry on or when you reach to a level then you can ignore or you can um you build yourself um something else out of it which will benefit other people and when you see other people in your place um 
then just just have empathy. So that's how um, we can express or connect the dots um, there. Otherwise, we tend to forget. Sometimes um, we forget one day we were there as well. And in a, the circumstances may be very different, but we human, we all go through this kind of cycles um, in whatever, um, wherever you live, there, life is not same always. Life brings something else. Um, today we have this, tomorrow it'll be different. It could be different scenario. You, everyone um, um, does not have to leave their country, leave in a refugee camp, but there are their own hardships. So that's why I feel like time is so precious. Time is um, the one we need to invest onto each other to understand each other, um, where they are coming from. So even that's why, um, and that's where I spent my whole life is with refugees. And then also coming here, it's opened up more. And whenever I have angry clients, um, I don't feel angry because that is not going to help me and I won't be able to help here, help them. I would rather start like, um, I can offer a cup of tea or find out a way how um, sometimes they won't even take it. They would go, but I still don't. Um, I will always wish them the best. Like I hope, you know, even if they are angry, I mean, we have instance that um, some would like to throw eggs on us <laughs> that I, that I um, and I, I laughed at one of our clients and I felt like, oh my gosh, he really Americanized, um, but in a different way. You know, we have um, so many choices, especially in America. We can integrate or we can, <laughs> those are the resettlement too. Like, so he learned to throw eggs instead of <laughs> doing other things. So, and I, I just thought like that is also a way you can progress. So this is, um, so the, yeah, this is what it is. Like we we just have to um, um, put things together and then understanding where um, the person is coming from. So if we had, um, when they were, they were not always angry, but when you have good times, um, invest into knowing more about them, where they are coming from, and it will eliminate um, some of it. And and not being judgmental. Those are the things um, will ease us. And then just being real, that's that's what I what it is to me, just being a real human, not being not trying to be like uh, superhuman. And then Mother Teresa is one of my role model. Like mm -hmm. um, I grew up like hearing about her and then Gandhi being so close. Um, yeah, they are great leaders. Like um, if we look at, um, their lives. It's just so simple. Um, they just followed their values and all, and we can't be like them, but um, we can learn so much and just be ourselves and mm -hmm. just have... But the pr yeah. perspective, the word, pers you say, you use the word perspective, uh -huh. and I think that's... Yes. I think that's so important that we can... And, and I, to your point, Mark, around pain... I believe that whenever anybody is approaching me or is showing up from angry, fearful, or, um, you know, worried, uh, anxious, 
any of those, I believe that there's some form of pain. There's some kind mm. of pain going on. And what I hear you saying, Pangala, is that you you are have practiced for all these years and continue to practice even with the refugees that you're supporting coming from the perspective that there is some pain there. And how can I get to know you and understand your background um like you like you played the advocate with the uh, between the bank and the gentleman that you shared during the webinar how powerful that was that you were able to feel for her have empathy of where she was coming from and then you understood his background and can explain his background from where he's coming from so you were able to bridge that by sharing each other's perspective um and that he was coming from pain you know i mean traumatic experience being uprooted. And like you said, he might've been protecting his family or coming from a place of fear and that approaching it with a belief that I want to understand your perspective um, seems to, seems to be a, a foundational way that you live your life and the way you're working with the people in Spokane. And it seems like really the, the reason that you got to that point is because so many people along your journey, along this path that you've been on have shown you so much kindness and you have so many stories of that. And without all of that kindness, you know, like what path would you have taken? What, where would you be, you know? And so it really is like an amazing reminder to show people who might be struggling in extreme ways or maybe hurting you or whatever it may be with that same kind of kindness. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite mentors says the expression where we shine our light is where we go. And so, you know, we can shine our light on all the negativity and all the challenge and the stress and the strife and all, or we can shine our light on the kindnesses. And so that's, that's what I see and hear happening. That's really beautiful. Excellent. Okay. Um, you know, one of the questions that Mark asked that, or one of the things that Mark had mentioned was around dominant culture. Like you kind of described, well, here's what it was like when I was not the dominant culture and unknowns and we're hiking through the streets and, and somebody really reached out and helped us. Um, so that, that, Phrase like privilege or dominant culture, those terms to me, I think are so important that we talk about because speaking of give voice, right? Even mm -hmm. though it's the kind of, those are the terms that like make people uncomfortable, you know, the people that don't want to be uncomfortable, it makes them uncomfortable. And yet I think it's so important to talk about that. So I guess I'm curious, both in the community and the world, you know, world relief that work that you're doing, um, like what, in what ways, do, how do you coach your clients around navigating the dominant culture? And then to the flip side, you know, how can we, as a dominant, as part of the dominant culture, how can I um, continue to become more and more aware of when I'm coming from my biases and when I'm un unaware of my privileges um, and those kinds of things? Does that make sense? I'm going to take a crack at this. And then Pingala, I'd love to hear what you think. One of the things that um, that I try to do as the white male with a PhD who has the executive director title uh, in my office, sort of holding all of the cards of power right now, is I, I try to find ways 
to change it so that at least in the culture that I control uh, or have a lot of influence in within my office, uh, to try and change it so it doesn't feel like a dominant white space. Um, now, it's going to be hard not to have that a lot of dynamics of that because I embody a lot of uh, white male um, dominance. Just that's who I am. That's what our culture around us is like. Um, but little things like making sure that when I'm out public speaking as much as I can, uh, I'm sharing the microphone with a great person like Pingala, you know, um, who once you hear her, you realize in every way she's my equal. Um, the same thing, like small things on staff, uh, like I try to learn how to greet people in their own languages. And so I don't speak another language very well. I have a little bit of Spanish and I used to speak Thai. Okay. When I lived in Thailand, but now English is really the only language I can function with, but I've tried to learn how to say hi in about 20 other languages as we've had groups of people from those various cultures. And I've noticed that even just a simple greeting, being able to say hello in someone's own language uh, or ask how they're doing and be able to respond when they ask me how I'm doing in their language, it creates a kind of equality and it, and it sets the tone that we're in a multicultural space. We're in a space where your humanity and your culture is recognized. Even if I can't have a conversation in your language, I acknowledge that the conversation we are going to use for this conversation is not the only language, uh, and it might not even be the best language, but you bring your language, or in many cases, your five or six or seven languages with you here, and I, I acknowledge that. Um, it's a small thing, but it's something I try to do very intentionally. Um, there's a few other things like that, too, but uh, Pingala, what would you say uh, as you know, as somebody who's learned to live in a, a very white city, <laughs> um, but coming from uh, from Central Asia? Okay, um, the greeting in other languages just reminds me of the in like the moment of my life. We were. Um, it was our third day in America. Um, we were having cultural orientation um, in the office and our director then, Linda Ansit, um, just learned there were um, missionary couple in Spokane um, who lived in Nepal. Like they were missionaries in Nepal, but they were in Spokane. So she called them and then 15 minutes later, um, a white American showed up, like big American. <laughs> and greeting in my language, in our language. And then and he also asked, how are you in Nepali? That just like, I had goosebumps. Like, what? I mean, it was very surprising to me. Um, and, um, and he's no other than um, Dr. Dave Baini, who is doing great um, work um, finding about Chief Gary's, um, how he was cheated. So he has written a book. Mm. So now we are friends. That day, it automatically connected us. Like, um, since he lived in Nepal, it did not matter. He, um, he knew about us. He brought chai. Um, so that broke um, the first barrier. And he started calling me sister. Um, in our language, we address people by um, 
like how we look if they are older. <laughs> I am auntie. If I go over there, maybe 10 years later, I'll be universal grandma. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how they address. And he called me younger sister. And um, so we connected. So this is um, one of the ways um, if um, people could, but that's not um, available to everyone. And um, I prepare um, my clients uh, when, when they come to this dominant culture. I tell them, don't expect um, everyone to be <laughs> everyone to be kind. I mean, this is this is a wild, like you know, um, a world we don't know we what we receive. So, because they we just um, have the tendency that what we received in World Relief Office or what we have seen uh, or what we. Um, have um, perceived in our, um, you know, mind. Mm -hmm. I had different perception about America before, like coming to Spokane. So it could change, and sometimes it is very um, hurting. Like it could be very painful. So that's how I prepare them because I faced one time. I was very ignorant. Um, I wasn't aware that um, people would not like to talk to me. I asked something to one of the ladies. Um, and she said, I don't know. But then I I did I did not know why she said that. I thought she didn't hear. So I went back again <laughs> to ask. <laughs> I was very new. So and it didn't even feel bad to me. I don't I didn't have all those information. So I was very naive. Um to, so now I think like she really didn't want to talk to me, but I kind of uh, pursued her, like um asking about the thing. Um but there was another instance, like um, I was at uh, a grocery store. Um, I did not know what kind of detergent to use in the washer, like um, dishwasher, the machine, which was very new to me. And then this woman was so kind. She, I mean, she was, I shouldn't have asked. She was a customer. She was just buying her stuff, but I just approached her. And she walked with me and then brought me to the place and then helped me pick um, one of them. So there are um, different ways of um, like different kinds of people out there. Um, we don't know, but uh, we shouldn't feel like anything. So if we are prepared in our mind um, mm. that not to feel entitled um, to um, receive what we want to um, here, because we have to leave. It's a it's a suspense out there. What is out there? We don't know what. Um, mm. So always be prepared for whatever comes. Um, and that's how I prepare my clients now after learning myself and then telling them to create that. So, yeah, I love that. So there's that cultural orientation that you help give them. And then I think to myself, you know, like in this cultural orientation, here's what you might expect from the average Spokenite, right? Or, um, and then, and then I wonder, you know, like, I wish we could just have everyone in Spokane go through a multicultural orientation and say, okay, so you've learned kind of what you might expect from the average. Like, so now let's expand how we might see and be more open-minded to differences. Cause that's really where your conversation started on the webinar was really about differences. And, and that's, 
that's part of what we're talking about is being accepting to differences um, and coming from the perception that mm -hmm. that's a good thing. It's, it's good to have mm -hmm. differences. Let's be curious with each other. Um, well, and so I, are in the, sorry, Tara, right? No, you have one more thing to say. That's reminds me of something that I want to talk about from the webinar as well. Um, and for anyone listening that might struggle with, any sort of bias that they, or even if it's unintentional bias when you're in the grocery store and maybe it's the way you talk to someone that looks differently than you, that is so ingrained in how you grew up that you might not even realize it. But I found it really impactful, Mark, during the webinar, how you were so open about that um, bias that you kind of caught in yourself with that one story you told and how you dealt with that. And I'm curious, like how you came to the point where you feel comfortable enough to be open enough about that with a bias that you might experience? Because as much as we all try to tell ourselves that we believe we don't have any, obviously, you know, we all have some sort of bias within us, um, especially a lot of us white people who grew up in Spokane, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Spokane, Washington. And so I'm curious, you know, how did you not only start feeling comfortable talking about that, but how do you deal with it? And, and like, what kind of steps do you take to change your mindset? Yeah, great question. Yes, um, there's a lot of shame in contemporary American culture around racism and bias. And I think that that shame, especially for those of us who are majority culture, uh, really drives a lot of our biases underground. That when we see um, when we see little examples of racism or sexism or homophobia or things like that in ourselves or in those around us, we react really strongly to try and suppress that. Because if I see something inside of myself, society tells me that I'm a bad person if I've got a bias. And so I think it actually causes a lot of us to ignore our biases or to pretend that they're not there or to hide them. Mm. And that doesn't fix them. Uh, it, we should suppress the outward expressions of racism and things like that. But the inner biases that drive those are things that we actually need to find ways to be honest about. Uh, for me, one of the experiences that was really helpful in understanding some of my own bias uh, was being with a group of pastors in L.A. for a couple of years where we met together on a regular basis and, and had a reading group. And most of the pastors in the group were African-American. And there was, I think about, I think there was about 10 of us, probably seven African-Americans and three, uh, three white folks. And we had a common uh, faith that brought us together and we were all leaders of faith communities. So we had some shared experiences and perspectives, um, but spending a good amount of time together. And this was back in about 2013, 14. Uh, and so we had a good starting point, but it took a lot of time and it took some courage for some conversations to emerge, uh, around some of the, you know, some of the things that have, were happened during that time period, things like Alton Sterling's situation and many of those other examples of, you know, black people being abused or killed, uh, in our, in our, um, in our society opened up some really deep conversations, where I got, they let me see some of their pain very personally. 
um, and they accepted me when I acknowledged that I don't know how to understand and process some of my own experiences and biases and feelings. Um, but it took a lot of vulnerability on their part to share with a, with a white guy about what it was like for them to see people who look like themselves uh, be mistreated and what that triggered in them and their own experiences. Every single one of them had their own experiences of uh, being, uh, you know, racially profiled or other things. Um, and then likewise, they were in a safe place. Our relationships were deep enough for me to own some of the biases that I had. And they, you know, they acknowledged that. Uh, they acknowledged that I was sharing my biases in good faith and not because I was perpetuating racism, but because I was a product of a racist system and I didn't have the ability to see even some of my own racist tendencies, much less to see how to help myself out of it. it white people cannot help other white people by themselves get over our racist tendencies. We have to have other people uh, from the minority cu cultures that can help us learn what their experiences are like. And we have to learn together. Like what Martin Luther King Jr. said, his vision was never for black people to take over and to oppress white people. Uh, his vision was what he called the beloved community, where we live in a compassionate exchange of generosity. And we learn to see each other's common humanity uh, beyond the superficial skin tones or subcultures that have formed us. Uh, that's a lifelong process. Uh, and when we get to the point where we can own the fact that we have biases, that's when we can start to behave differently and become a healing presence in the community rather than, you know, just trying to hide our wounds, but really continuing to, to be part of a broken system. Thank, thank you, you for answering yeah. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate what you described, Mark, around the courageous conversations, you know, and yeah. that's, mm -hmm. it's so important and it, and it takes courage on everyone's side to be willing to look at our own shadows and be willing to ask questions and have curiosity. Um, and I think you mentioned, one of you had mentioned in the webinar around just respectful, like how can we be respectful in our um, compassion with each other and respectful in our conversations? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, I was just going to look and see if there's one other Bear with me. So kind of near the end of the webinar, Mark, you had brought up the workplace, framing it in terms of the workplace, taking it from our community to more of our workplace community. Um, and one of the questions that came up during the webinar that Haley Flint posed was about strategies, ways and strategies to maintain compassion towards people when they're not being compassionate or kind towards us. Um, and, and I remember in the webinar, you said, I get the opportunity to, to converse with those that are angry, like it escalates to you and you get the opportunity for that. And I think right there in my mind, that is a lens and a perspective that is, that's like going to create openness and exchange. And so I just thought that was beautiful, first of all, but then, you know, you, we talked a little bit about, well, like, how can we, what strategies can we take? What steps can we take to um, help create more connection 
even when that person is approaching us, not really in that place. Um, so I would love to hear, you know, from both Pingala and from Mark, just if you have not necessarily in the workplace, can be in the workplace, can be in your life, can be at, you know, world relief, any other strategies, because, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because of the examples that you had both that you had listed about, um, you know, like sharing the mic when you're at an event and making sure that everybody has their voice heard, greeting people in their own language. Um, that like, like you said, Pangala about the gentleman bringing chai, it's like, it's so respectful and it's so connecting. Um, so small too, like small, but mighty actions. So, um, what other small, but mighty actions can we take as, um, as part of our beloved Spokane community? What actions can we take? Pingala, you could go for it if you want. Yes. I just, I'm not a great speaker. Um, <laughs> I rely on Mark to clarify everything, but I just take- Not true, very... you're great. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say, I beg to d- disagree with that. You are incredibly articulate. Um, so don't, please don't discount yourself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You are just um, kind. Um, I just, um, uh, just a simple um, thing. Like when we, um, it's, I think everyone is, this unconscious bias. I think we are all victim of unconscious bias. I wouldn't say people, no one intentionally, intentionally one, uh, wants to hurt another person. So, but we are so disconnected uh, from each other because, because there are so many ways, the lifestyle here, um, when I, um, I have been experiencing like leaving this life. So we are so disconnected to understand other people, but now what I am getting older, when I go to grocery store and all, when I pick up a banana, then I start thinking about the banana, where it is coming from, who might have planted this because the banana do do not grow here. And I start thinking about like those people, like, you know, who must have um, top, like, you know, it's a process. I, I, I grew up where banana tree, um, um, grew so we had varieties of bananas um, back home but here we get one kind um, which is not the best kind <laughs> for us but I still think of those people and and then when I and I know where they grow um, and it's not America so when I look at people out there I, I feel them they are feeding me bananas so likewise, uh, we have we can connect um, humans through what we consume. I think we like banana, but why don't we like the people those who bring banana those mm. for us? Or likewise, there are so many food you you consume every day. Um, and I mean, if you look at anything, um, even when you go to White House, who built that? Um, today we are. Um, proud of we can think of those things the infrastructures that that we are valuing we are proud of our history or we are not proud of so we we need to reflect back things um just before <laughs> passing on um or just just like um being um i wouldn't say judgmental but um 
yeah, on the surface only. So if we dig down, if we give time, so that's why I put like I like to put emphasis on time. I think time is mm. uh, a very huge thing, which is taken. I mean, every minute, and they say time is money in America, <laughs> but I think time is more than money. Um, time is, I think, life. Um, if we look into it, we can. Time can teach us so many things. Time heals wound. Time. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The only thing I would add as one practical way to just live out compassion in very small but practical ways is ask a question, a real question. I mean, how many times do we walk past somebody and say, how's it going? And we don't really want an answer. We're just greeting someone. But if we ask a real question, how are you? How was your weekend? What are you going to do tonight? What are you looking forward to as we start a new year? Those kinds of things are acts of compassion. And they create the possibility of a relationship going deeper. They create the possibility of somebody being vulnerable and saying, you know what? Um, this is going to be a tough year for me. I just lost somebody who's important to me. That's a you just took a risk and you got a bigger answer. Now what are you going to do? Are you going to follow up and say, you know what? I care about you and I'm going to check in in a, in a week or two weeks or a month and see how you're doing and let you know that I've been thinking of you. Um, those little things all start with a question. Mm -hmm. And I think each of us can stop once a week or once a day and just ask one more better question to create space for compassion. Mm -hmm. Which takes which takes time, which is a gift to Pangala's right. point, right. you know, that we're going to give each other the gift. And I'm thinking of your having tea and being so relational in, in your your culture, Pangala, and the disconnect that happens more often in our culture. So I picture, well, I'm going to put out an invitation to our Spokane community and anyone listening to um, take the time and sit down and have a cup of tea or coffee with somebody and ask the questions that are meaningful and really listen, listen with an open heart, listen with curiosity, listen with reflective, you know, like that you really understand. So we're not just coming from our own stories and being able to bridge and connect us. Um, we all have the opportunity to do that in any given moment. Um, so I, I really have found this conversation very inspiring to, um, to help make a difference in, in people's, each other's lives, you know? Yeah. yeah. Can I add that please? Um, so this is just um, very business, but this is also an opportunity for um, people to come join um one of our clients, um, like um, a different uh, project that I was doing with women, um, she would be starting um, a Turkish coffee at Feast World Kitchen. This is also uh, one of the way to connect the communities, building um, a bigger community. Mm -hmm. So you are all welcome to come join once it is ready um i think we will um, launch through feast that mariam will be making turkey's coffee and mariam is one of the most wonderful um dear friend um so she would be very happy so that that would be an opportunity for to join so 
Beautiful. Thank you for bringing that up. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. And I, I, let's all be looking for those, right? All right. Everyone in Spokane, let's all be looking for those opportunities to support and to explore and to be curious about. Um, so first world coffee, is that what it's called? First world? It's feast world kitchen. Oh, first world kitchen. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's so good for maybe, I don't know. Can you give just whoever's listening like a little background in case they don't know what that is? It's honestly something everybody in Spokane needs to know about. It's so it's, good. Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Um, feast world kitchen is, um, it was a old, um, I think restaurant, which was closed and bought by first press church and but there was a visionary um chef dan todd had a vision to create a kitchen a rotating kitchen for refugees and immigrants to come and cook different food different kinds of cuisine um, from their country so and ross now the executive director joined the group and then um it's a kitchen where refugees and immigrants um, cook. Ev- like it's a rotating meal every day. So Monday they publish what is um, what they are going to cook. So I think Wednesday through Sunday, but there is on Thursday, there is a, a business women runs. That's not part of like feast, but she rents the space um, who is also a great uh, chef. Indian cuisine, but other days um, there are rotating um, like cooks from different countries. Um, they come and cook. So Mariam will be doing coffee in the morning, one of the mornings, like likely Friday morning, um, but it will be on the website. So okay. Yes. So I want to acknowledge for those of you listening, I was hearing it wrong. It's Feast World Kitchen, F-E-A-S-T, World Kitchen. It's on third. I drive by it and I've seen it before with curiosity. Um, The website is www.feastworldkitchen.org, which I would imagine is where we can get the upcoming information on foods and what's going to be offered to go explore and experience. So that's fantastic. I love that. Love it. Love it, love it. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? I want to say that I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for inviting us. Mm. Yeah, same with me. Thank you so much. Well, we appreciate your time and we appreciate not only spending time to share your wisdom during the webinar, but then to be able to um, learn even more about you and, and further this conversation during the podcast. It's just fantastic. So we are very thankful for you too, for um, here being here today, being here with us on the podcast and the webinar, but also just the work that you're doing in our community to make it a better, more welcoming place um, that um, we can make a more beloved Spokane community. So I, I just love, I, I've read about and love um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s beloved community. So uh, I want to invite those listening to remember to tune in next time for productivity practices, which will cover mindfulness, intentionality, and goal setting with Dr. Mike Hazel and Jose Hernandez. The webinar will air live on Wednesday, February 23rd from 12 to 1. And then you can expect to see the podcast recording uploaded the following week. 
So another huge thank you to this year's Living Leadership Sponsors, Canopy Credit Union and Avista Utilities. Thanks, everyone. That's it for today. Um, We can't wait to see you next time.